No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there, walked alone. Shirley Jackson, The Haunting of Hill House. Shining in your freezer. Oh, I was reading it last night and I got scared, so. But uh, you're safe from it if it's in the freezer? Well, safer. I mean, I never start reading The Shining without making sure we got plenty of room in the freezer. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. On our first full episode, we're going to discuss haunted houses in fiction and hopefully answer some important questions. Do they represent the American dream turning on us? Who gave these realtors a license? How many glaring red flags should you ignore when buying a suspiciously underpriced house? Do we personally find them scary? How scary? Are these room temperature or are we putting them in the freezer? All this and more in this episode of Books in the Freezer. So, Stephanie, what do you think of haunted houses? You mean like those ones that pop up everywhere, like around Halloween, and you like pay to go in them? Not a huge fan. You? Actually, I like them in real life. I would love to go and wander around a real or quote-unquote real haunted house, but I have different feelings about them on the page. You don't actually like to go in them? How come? Because they're scary. Like... Listen, what some people might call cowardice or being a chicken, I like to say is a strong instinct of self-preservation. Fair um, enough. Like no one's putting <laughs> me in Gryffindor. I don't know. Like they do. They they freak me out. I, But I do love reading about them. So I think, are we opposite on this? Do we have differing just... opinions on this right now? <laughs> oh, right off the bat, our first episode and we're not agreeing. <laughs> It's okay. I think I think that should be fine. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see if I ever want to talk to you again after this. Um, <laughs> do you really, do you really, like, if there was, like, where my husband lives, there's an abandoned, like, mental institution. Like, are you saying you would go in there with, like, a flashlight and just, like, check it out? Oh, that's terrifying. Well, I would, I would like to go in. I say that, but I am still kind of a chicken. But I think it would be so much fun. But my only thing is, why do you have to go in with a flashlight? Like, why can't we bring a proper giant light installation and and like just light it all up i'm like you want to call an electrician why. and let them know that you're gonna go in there maybe yeah i'm not thinking this through but <laughs> my thing is why does everyone always go in so ill-prepared it's always uh, okay we got one flashlight with a rickety cheap battery because we couldn't buy a proper duracell or something we're just gonna fail in two minutes just adds to the adventure is all <laughs> i don't know i think so Listen, I'm the one that's like, this is trespassing. Um, If anything happens to us, no one knows where we are. Like, I'm the one that's like, listen, here's all the reasons why just no, don't do it. Well, I think what I'm hearing is that you're definitely going to be the final girl at the end of the movie, the one that actually survives. And I'm that girl who gets 
killed in the first five minutes and no one remembers. You're like, hey, I heard a weird sound over in this room. Let's split up and check it out. I would absolutely be that person. I just find the idea that it's so much fun. But when you actually start talking about it, I'm, I'm questioning my own survival instincts and how lacking they are. Totally. <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned. But at least you like the book. So I think and that maybe that's why you wouldn't go into a haunted house is that you've actually read and listened to the advice of all these classic haunted house stories and are maybe thinking better of it than just blindly going in with your rickety flashlight. That could be it. So let's let's talk about these haunted houses. Um, <laughs> so I feel like there's almost like categories of haunted house stories and haunted house stories are just so much like I don't want to say the foundation or like the bread and butter but they are just like a classic horror story. And I think even within that, like, just haunted house category, there's so many, like, little categories that fall under that. The one that I love and I am a sucker for whenever anyone's explaining a book to me is Mm -hmm. if there's, like, an unsuspecting family that just wants to get away from the city for whatever reason and just settle down and buy a house in the quiet countryside, I'm buying that book. Oh, seriously. I think that goes back to our intro with we were talking about like the American dream and full disclosure, I'm Canadian over here. So I think that's almost such an American concept to be like, oh, the quiet countryside. And there's something I love that those books just draw you in that you're like completely there to <laughs> to see what's going to go horribly wrong. Because I mean, there's we're absolutely going to be mindful of spoilers. But when it comes to horror, you know, something is going horribly wrong. Oh, definitely. So, so what is it? Yeah, you like so much about them. Well, even if you look at what I like to read, even outside of the horror genre, even in like literary fiction, is I really like stories about relationships and especially like familial relationships and family dramas. And this is just such a situation that, you know, you're putting these people in and it's going to put strain on these relationships and just looking at the state of the relationships when the people buy this house. It's just really interesting to just watch them unravel. Uh-huh. And I love just the change in tone in the beginning to, you know, just the hope, you know, like all the hope and the hopefulness of being like new homeowners and the elation that comes with that. And like, everything's going to be great. And we're going to make this room like a <laughs> guest room. And, you know, you can put your office in here. And it's just so happy and hopeful. And then just watching that completely unravel by the end. And these people just being like scared out of their minds is one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> So you just love watching people's hope disappear. Totally. That's my whole bookshop. It's just like, <laughs> do you have hopes and dreams? Let's make them disappear. <laughs> Stephanie just wants to crush everyone's hopes. Yep, that is true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do read so much of these that like, you know, when you pick them up, you're like, oh, of course, of course. Yep, this has to happen. So there's always going to be like supernatural stuff tied to the setting. And I feel like there's always a scene where the characters have to find out like what happened you know whether they go to a Mm -hmm. bar and they have to casually be like so I uh I bought that house at the end of the road and they're like oh not the Nelson house (laughs) they're like yeah the old Nelson house what happened over there you know or they're at a library like and they have like a whole like microfiche scene um which I don't know I always find really funny just because like there (laughs) has to be that scene in every (laughs) every one of these um but 
I don't know. I like the different forms that it can take. And, you know, it always is like hearing noises or like writing or weird stains on the wall, kids seeing invisible people, doors closing by themselves type of thing. And it is always one of these situations where the house was just like too good to be true. Like it was a much bigger house than they should have been able to afford. And, you know, they didn't really think about any red flags or anything like that. It was just like, oh, this is just such a great deal. What could possibly be wrong with it? Oh, exactly. Famous last words. Yep. You will not survive a horror movie if you say that. (laughs) Nothing can go wrong. We are so happy. (laughs) So the first book I want to talk about that Mm -hmm. kind of falls into this category is super polarizing. A lot of people just hate this book. And I kind of feel like if you hate it, you have valid reason. It's fine. I'm not judging you for it. I personally like it. But if you don't, totally fine. Oh, what is it? House of Leaves uh, by Mark Z. Danielewski. You haven't read it, you said? No, I haven't. Okay, you got to tell me. Give me the give me the pitch. Okay, so it's, you know, it's like this weird postmodern setup. It's like a Russian nesting doll of a narrative. It's like a story that's inside of a story that's inside of another story. So you can already tell you're just going to need a lot of patience (laughs) to get through this book. Basically, Uh, A tattoo artist finds a manuscript and it kind of reads like a dissertation of a found footage type documentary called uh, The Navidson Record that follows what happens when a couple moves into a house that is just a little bit bigger on the inside. I don't want to spoil anything. That's really like what Mm -hmm. I'm going to say about it. And I just I really liked this book. Um, I don't know. I think we've talked about this. It's like when you read a book too. And this was one of the first horror books I read ever. So I didn't have like a whole lot to compare it to. But I just thought it was like fantastic. And it does that thing for me where there was a big focus on the marriage and the relationships. And Will Navidson was a uh, like a photographer, videographer. Like he was an artist and he was kind of making some art piece about his family moving into this house. And he had cameras set up. And there are scenes in the book where his wife is sitting in their room and talking to the camera, kind of Mm -hmm. like a reality show, like talking head or confessional and just really just talking about her feelings with her husband and his obsession with this house and how it's tearing them apart. And I just really liked that. I loved that just openness about their relationship. And this book, like stuff does happen. It escalates and like, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's fatalities. So I would say this for me, we didn't talk about our rating system, but this is a freezer book. So if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, when we rate books, we are rating them based on the Joey and friend scale. Like if a book scares us, we're putting it in the freezer and then there's levels, you know, if it's not like quite freezer level, we'll put it in the refrigerator. And if it's really not scary, it's what we call a room temperature book. And this isn't really judging a book's literary merit by any means. This is just like, if you're recommending a horror book to people, I feel like they're always like, but is it scary? Like, am I going to lose sleep over it? So this is a scale for that. Do people ask you that all the time when you talk about horror books? Oh, absolutely. It's the only thing people care about is what's the scariest book you've read? Is this scary? So I think we should actually do a whole nother episode about, you know, what is the scariest book you've read or even talking about, you know, does a book need to be scary in order to be good? Because I feel like especially people who don't read a lot into the genre, it's all they care about is, 
is it scary? How scary? Will I need to sleep with the lights on? Yes, absolutely. And the next book I'm just going to mention, for me, it was a room temperature book, but I thought it had a lot of literary merit. I thought it was written very well. And that was The Grip of It by Jack Jumps, which just came out this year, um, which really just falls into that category of a couple having problems and buying a house. But it was really, it really explored their relationship and there was a house. It really, I, I wasn't scared by it at all, but I thought it was a very well-written story. So even though it's a room temperature book, I thought the writing in it was great. You know, it had shifting point of view chapters between the husband and wife. And I thought it was a good book. No, that sounds really good. I haven't heard of that one, actually. Uh, the last one I want to talk about on this category is like the infamous one. Um, <laughs> yep. Can't talk about it without mentioning the Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. <laughs> have you read it or watched any of the movies? I have not. I, I really should. But you can you can just tell me about it and then I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, basically, the the Lutz family moves into this too good to be true house in Amityville, New York. And they flee less than a month later after experiencing strange phenomena. Oh, how would you rate that one? Uh, This to me was like a refrigerator book. And I don't know if that's fair because of when it was written, but I just feel like it's every cliche in the book. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally in the book. (laughs) But (laughs) just, I mean, with when it was written, did it create some of these cliches? Like, I don't know, but... The way it was written, there wasn't any tension. You know, it was marketed as a true story. And there's been a lot of controversy about that. A lot of people saying Mm -hmm. that, like, it was a lie and that the couple, you know, came together and basically made up the story. Like, there's just a whole thing behind it. And also, I found this really fascinating article uh, that we're going to include in the show notes. But it was an article about how the Amityville Horror really started the whole built on an Indian burial ground trope. Yes. I didn't realize that was a thing before that. It's just something, yeah, that everyone's like, oh, you know, you don't build on an Indian burial. (laughs) I feel like it was everywhere, like in the 70s and 80s. It was in like the Pet Cemetery movie and like maybe the second Poltergeist. I'm not sure. In the article, they talk about it. But the article was written by Colin Dickey, who came out with a book last year, a nonfiction book called Ghostland, an American History in Haunted Places, which I read and was fantastic. And so if that interests you at all, I definitely suggest reading this article. Like I said, we will leave the link in the show notes for you. Um, And that last article you mentioned actually leads really well into the second category. So I'd call this category the modern take on the classic haunted house story. So all the books you mentioned were really those classic old homes where it seems too good to be true, people moving to the countryside. And when we started to break out the books we wanted to talk about for that section, we quickly realized that all the books that I started putting into it were actually much more modern. And again, it maybe goes back to the fact that in Canada, we don't have those classic American builds in the countryside. If you live in the country, you live in an old creepy farmhouse. So of course it's haunted. It's not something that's ever, I don't know, idealized the same way. Maybe it's something about the American dream that's a little bit different. So instead, all the stories that I've been drawn to and the haunted house stories that I've been reading have all been really modern takes. And those 
often involves something where, first of all, it's always that too good to be true, so the rent is really cheap or they're able to purchase it for an incredible deal. But how it leads back from that article is the fact that these stories tend to play with the idea of old spirits rejecting the commercialization of suburbia. So often it's homes that, you know, they're brand new builds, but, you know, perhaps they're built on top of graveyards. And so that's kind of, you know, like I said, it works right, really nicely with that article you pulled up. One of the first books I thought of was 14 by Peter Kleins, which is about a young man who rents a seemingly fantastic apartment with an incredibly cheap price for rent. And however, he realizes that there's some strange things going on, some glowing co cockroaches, and him and his neighbors start going around and trying to figure out what's going on. What I like is that it definitely has a really good mystery aspect to it. I love mystery stories in general. So you really get to see them investigating, going apartment to apartment, seeing how each apartment in this building that should be standardized are actually all really quite different. I'll admit I did find the writing a little bit weaker in this story. And personally, I didn't find it particularly suspenseful, but that we'll talk about maybe more in a second here, that that's kind of what I struggle with with haunted house stories in general is that there's always something wrong with the apartment, but often I find it just more weird than actually creepy, and I just don't get really anxious over, oh, there's a cupboard door that's open, or oh, a creaky step. I just think, well, you know, fix the creaky step, but it doesn't always scare me as much. So for me, that book was probably pretty room temperature. So you're like, you could live in a haunted apartment and be like, Ugh, I'm gonna have to call someone to get rid of that mold on the wall and to fix that creaky step, end of story. Exactly. <laughs> oh, pretty much. I'd be that person who was blindly living there and no idea. That's yeah. I, the more we talk about this, the more I'm realizing that, yeah, this this if I actually end up in a haunted apartment, I will not survive a week because I'm so naive, I think. I'd be like, oh, that's strange. It's just glowing cockroaches. OK, you know, I'll just keep moving on and go from there. <laughs> So the other book I do want to mention, and honestly I recommend more, is The Graveyard Apartment, which is by uh, Miroko Kiyoki, and it's translated from Japanese, so hopefully I didn't butcher the author's name too much. We'll put the uh, name of the book in the podcast show notes so you can find it there. But this is all about a young married couple who move into a brand new apartment building with their daughter. They're able to afford this gorgeous place because it's built right next to a traditional Japanese graveyard. And as you would expect, weird things start to happen, the neighbors start moving out, and the family is left wondering what to do. And this one plays really nicely into the trope of old spirits fighting against the modern new commercialization of these old sacred grounds. And this works especially well with the fact that it is a Japanese book because that's a huge part of their media and culture in general. I don't know if you've read a lot of Japanese um, books, but that's something that they address a lot is the fact that it's always that old versus new is a very common and prevalent theme in their books because they have such a long history. Oh. But they are now, if you look at modern Japanese culture, it's very commercial there. Uh, very technologically savvy, all of that. So you'll see this theme in anime and manga, and it really plays well into the book. So I actually really enjoyed this one. It was, I enjoyed the parts of it, but again, I just, I wish it had been creepier. I wish that it hadn't have 
taken so long for this suspense to build and I don't know I, I make the joke that I wish instead of like a creaky step I would rather there was like an arm that jumps out and like grabs him in the first chapter and pulls him into the home and the thing I find about haunted house stories is that they always have to start really slow with these small small details about the house and maybe it's because I live in a home that needs a lot of renovations that I'm just like oh that's just you know all I just see is a, a list of things that need to be fixed on the home instead of something terrifying. That's funny. But, uh, so how, yeah. Would you put this book in the freezer at all? I was thinking about that. I'd still call it pretty room temperature, but for someone who likes haunted house stories more than me, it might be a fridge book, but I'd be loved, I'd love actually for you to read this one. I'd really like to know what you think of it. It sounds but For me, it was pretty room temperature. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating, and it definitely ties in with that article. I think being American, sometimes, like, I think I don't think about other cultures kind of having those ideals too because I think that that Indian burial ground just with American history is just such an American concept that I kind of thought it was like yeah that's just like an American thing so it's really interesting to see that you know in another culture where you were talking about this old versus new thing just sounds absolutely fascinating so I think I'm definitely gonna pick this up yeah I think it's just it works so well on so many levels I, I really think you'd like that one a lot you know you really find these stories just I know enticing I, I wish I liked them more um, but I guess there's a third before we get into kind of our final thoughts there's a third topic and that is all about a group of experts going into a known haunted house so this is where the category where Rachel decides to go into that mental institution by your house and hopefully doesn't get killed so yeah this is like the Rachel getting paid money to like explore a haunted house and she's like come on gang um <laughs> So with a lot of these, we see a group of people, sometimes experts, sometimes amateurs, spending time in a place that already has a reputation for being haunted. The setting, of course, will manifest itself in different ways. Uh, we're dealing a lot in this with science versus, you know, supernatural stuff. I feel like there's always a character that's really rational, that's kind of like the scully and like, no, that's just this, that's just this. And you're always having some person who's like really in tune with the supernatural to kind of play off of that um which is really interesting I really I do like these kind of stories um I just love that people go in there and since a lot of especially with the stories where people are experts you know they kind of have an arrogance and a cockiness that kind of catches them off guard when they get into this house and I don't know I just really like that I also like that in some cases you know, the house just really starts to change people just subtly, just ever so subtly. And you just don't know who you can trust because of the house's influence on people. And I think that just adds a whole nother layer to this. Yes. Um, so the most famous one that I want to talk about that was referenced right at the beginning of our episode, I read the opening line of The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, which is just a fantastic book. And another example of a book that you know, is a room temperature book, but is just beautifully written. I think a literary masterpiece, but, you know, it's a very slow burn psychological horror. This is about a group of people led by Dr. John Montague, who try to document their experience while staying at Hill House. And he gets like a group of people who have experience with the paranormal. It has so many elements that I love, though. It's got that psychological horror. It's got an unreliable narrator. And I also love, I think it's just because I do love relationships and we did talk about it. I love the breaking down of a group dynamic. 
especially if when we get it when we do an episode on like survival horror where it's like a group of people in like a tense situation and they all just start turning on each other I love that that's one of my favorite things (laughs) then kind of an opposite book of that kind of a book to contrast that I also have Hell House by Richard Matheson uh, who people might know better as the author of I Am Legend But he wrote a book about a group of paranormal experts who stay in the infamous Belasco house to investigate life after death. Basically, there was a millionaire on his deathbed and he's paying, I think it's like $100,000 to anyone who can like affirm that there is life after death by like going into the Belasco house and coming back with any type of evidence. And this is so different from The Haunting of Hill House because this is just absolutely insane. Just like there is no subtlety in this. Like, you know, the first night people's chairs start levitating. There's like furniture thrown at the wall. Like, it's just like really crazy. And the tone of it is just so the opposite of The Haunting of Hill House. And it's just absolutely insane. And also this book gets like, I want to say like lewd. Like, I'm almost worried to like when I see people that are telling me what they're going to read for Halloween and they're like this sweet little you know, these sweet little ladies who are like, I just want like a cute, like atmospheric read for Halloween. And they're telling me they're going to read Hell House. I'm like, oh, you're going to get a little, a little more than you bargained for with that one. Like stuff's going to happen. And it gets, uh, it gets pretty crazy. So I start to get a little nervous and think that they're going to like come after me or something when they're done. Oh, and maybe this is a bad thing to admit, but from that description, you really got me interested in picking this one up. I wanted to read Hell House for a little bit, but the way you describe it, that's something actually in general with books. When you tell me that a book is explicit and lewd and is going to disturb people, those books usually end up on the top of my list for things I need to read because I really enjoy those stories that are super intense and inappropriate. And I don't know what it says about me, but I think Hell House might be the the solution I need to an over-the-top haunted house story, and I'm all there for for some nasty, explicit content. Rachel's like, did someone say offensive? Hmm. I was like, I'm there. (laughs) It's like the things you probably shouldn't admit. (laughs) Uh, So in terms of rating fear-wise, what would you rate that one? I I might be putting this book in the freezer just because of the intensity of the stuff that's happening. And I think my trepidation to recommend it to people, I think says a lot too. So I think just because of that, it's going in the freezer. Fair enough. All right. So the other book that I wanted to mention in this category was Horror Store by Grady Hendrix. And this, again, you're going to see a theme with my books, is more modern take on the investigators going into a haunted place. Because this book is all about a group of employees who work in a knockoff Ikea-like store. And they are tasked with going in and working overnight to find out what's happening. Because when they go in in the morning, there's stains on the furniture it looks like someone's been breaking in at night and so they're tasked to figure out what's going on because this is a horror story you know something very strange is happening and you might have heard of this book before it's quite popular for the fact that it's designed all like an ikea catalog and it's the design of it is worth checking out just for that it was really fun and entertaining Uh, along those notes my what i didn't personally like about it was just the tone of the book is so light I would say that Hendrix writes really tongue-in-cheek horror, which you either like or you don't. 
So I actually think you might enjoy this book more because I know you've read his other book. Um, what is it called? My, My Best, Best Friend's, Friend's Exorcism. Yes, that's the one. And so if you like that, you'll definitely like this one. It's, uh, I like that it's a bit of a different take where it's more, again, those amateur, for lack of a better word, detectives, where they're going in and investigating, but they have no skills, no understanding of what they're getting themselves into, even that naive cockiness they're just blindly going into the situation way over their head and things just go from bad to worse in terms of scariness I would call this book room temperature just because there's a lot of humor in it which for me always stops me from getting scared in a book if I'm laughing too much I'm not necessarily scared but there are some really good gruesome moments which you know I love I love some good body horror so for other people this one might be at least a fridge book depending on how you feel about those kind of moments I'm really excited to read this I like you mentioned I loved my best friend's exorcism and uh, the design of this book is amazing I have a copy and it's just I absolutely love it so um yeah with what you said I definitely want to check it out and it's so interesting uh that it's just in an Ikea, because I feel like that's such a, I don't want to say like a safe space. It's like a very sterile place. Like, you don't think anything like horrible is going to happen in Ikea. It's not like a, well, not Ikea. They're like off-brand, not Ikea, Ikea. Right, so they don't get sued, I'm sure. But <laughs> it's base, It's a, It's as close to Ikea as they could make it without getting sued, I'm pretty sure was the design <laughs> plan and the marketing around that book. I can definitely but, see that. Oh, man. No, yeah, yeah. I, I want to read that. No, you make a really good point, though, that that's actually a theme I was noticing when we started curating this list, is that all the books I picked out, while they do have horror themes, they're all, because they're all these really modern buildings, it's, I think, a little bit harder to set up a really scary situation where you're in this brand new apartment, or exactly what's scary about Ikea unless you're terrified of Saturday afternoon furniture shoppers, but otherwise, I think that's kind of what's... Uh, giving me problems finding something really scary or something that's really capturing my attention, which is why I'm thinking of the books you mentioned, I probably need to read either um, House of Leaves or Hell House, I think would both be books that I need to check out and go more back to the classics of the genre because while I loved, I actually like, I enjoyed the books I read, but I didn't fully I don't know. I didn't fully get into the story. There's something that just wasn't scary enough. I needed it to be more over the top and more suspenseful. And like I said, I just, all I, when I was reading about these books with these, you know, broken down cupboards and those kind of things, I'm just like, oh, I've got to go fix those. I've got to go to Home Depot after this. I don't know if we have those in the States, but honestly, it's, it's just, I, I totally lost the immersion in that, you know, that sense of fear just didn't click in. But maybe it's the books I'm picking out. I'm starting to I'm starting to see some connections here. That's really funny. Um, we do have Home Depot, by the way. Okay, um, good. Yeah, I can see that just because those are like a take on the stories that I did. So when you were talking about them, I was like, ooh, I love this new like modern interpretation of something that normally wouldn't be scary being scary so I actually put two of your books on my TBR that's to be readless that's book talk for that um well I already owned horror store but I definitely want to check out that graveyard apartment just because I love new takes on things and new interpretations 
So it was really interesting. And it is interesting that like, yeah, when I we talked about haunted houses, the ones you picked were more modern stories. So it'll be interesting what you think of going back to, I guess, what people would call the more classic definition of that and see if that works for you a little better. I think so. I'd love us to do a follow-up episode where maybe after we've done um, different recommendations where we do one where we talk about the books that the other person read and then we read and see how they compare. You know, are we agreeing, disagreeing? I, I'd be, love to know kind of where we land on some of these books if uh, I could see us having some really differing opinions on them. I'm interested about House of Leaves just because of like, you're going to have strong feelings about it either way. It's such an iconic book. I feel like even if I don't love it, you have to read it. If you say you read horror and you haven't read House of Leaves, it's one that people, when they talk to me, they're like, well, of course you've read that one. I'm like, well, actually I haven't. It's maybe just taking the time to commit. It's a pretty chunky one. So it's always, a, oh, when I, you know, when do I want to focus on this book and not read anything else for a week? So, Ooh, I also think we should do an episode on like what's considered the essential reading list. Like what do you have to read? Or what do people oh, like assume you need to read to be a horror reader and what we think about that? That's a good one. Ooh, bookmark I that. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll, I'll write that down. So now we're going to talk about things that we're loving recently. Specifically, we want to talk about horror related material that may not be books just because while we want to focus this podcast on books... Obviously, as horror lovers, for lack of a better term, we want to recommend some other forms of media that we're really enjoying right now. And I almost feel like I'm cheating with my pick for this time because I want to recommend the Black Tapes podcast. And of course, we'll have links in the show notes. But the reason I feel like I'm cheating is that I listened to this podcast because of Stephanie. So it's basically like she picked out two this week. But if you're not familiar with this podcast, it's the story of a journalist who meets a paranormal skeptic named Dr. Strand, and he is famous in this world for going around and debunking paranormal stories. In his personal collection, he has a group of VHS tapes that he refers to, or they refer to as the Black Tapes, which are a series of unsolved paranormal cases where he believes that they're all fake, but he has not been able to properly resolve that yet. And if that synopsis is not pulling you in, I don't know what's wrong with you, honestly, because I was addicted from the first episode. The narration is so good. It reminded me actually a lot of the podcast Serial by This American Life, which I assume most people are familiar with, but it's very much that journalist going around. And I think this one will particularly appeal to skeptics because it's very much told from the perspective of Dr. Strand, who does not believe in the paranormal, but the journalist is a little bit more back and forth trying to decide whether or not she does believe in these paranormal activities. I love this podcast. It's I'm just the so production excited. value is so great. Like everything about it is fantastic, but go on, I'll let you finish. No, that's good. I just, I reluctantly felt for the sake of full disclosure that I should probably let people know that it is technically a fictionalized story. And I felt pretty dumb when I found that out myself, probably after episode three or four, that I was messaging Stephanie about it. I'm like, oh, it's so good, so good. And I didn't realize it was all fake. So that was a little bit soul crushing because I pretty much have a fictional crush on Dr. Strand. He is, I don't know, his, his voice and total everything voice is crush. so good. Yeah. Oh. But I think it's really going to appeal to anyone who likes that 
uh, story of like the amateur detectives or journalists going around <laughs> investigating. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Stephanie knocked out of the park when she said like the production value. It's just, it's so well written. And when I found out it was technically fiction, for a second I was disappointed, thinking, oh, it's not as interesting. And then I started listening to the next episode and I was completely pulled back in. You will forget over and over again that it's fiction. And it's definitely one of the creepier things I've read or rather kind of listened to compared to some of the audiobook core, which is another topic we need to discuss. Oh, definitely. But I think the podcast is so creepy. And, oh, I just love every episode. I'm obsessed. Oh, and you said you just listened to the Ouija board one. That one freaked me out. Like, I was listening to it at work, like, surrounded by people, like, pretty safe. And I just, I got goosebumps. And it was, like, oh, so freaky. So the one thing I'm loving right now isn't necessarily the thing, but the experience of the thing, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm making my way through the Friday the 13th franchise because I realized I had only ever seen the first one and so they're all on stars so I mm-hmm. just decided to just just go get my way through them um I'm currently on I just finished uh Jason Takes Manhattan which just <laughs> is absolutely insane it's just ridiculous and campy and I think it has my favorite scene ever, which is like that rooftop boxing scene. <laughs> it is so ridiculous and I love it. Just the tone of it is just bonkers. So I love the first one. And like for the first four, I think they kind of stuck to the formula and it was whatever. But I think and now they just keep getting just crazier and crazier and I think I just watched them for comedic value at this point, but it's it's definitely an experience I give a thumbs up to. I just saw that Canadian Netflix is getting a ton of them are coming in October, so I might binge watch several of them, but everything I've heard about them are ridiculous. Jason is nowhere near my favorite, but just the tone of these just absolutely lose it somewhere around the fifth one. <laughs> And then the the kills just get like hilarious. Like it just they just become comedies. So they're really funny. Everyone listening, do you like Friday the Thirteenth? Like I'm never I'm never sure like what people think about them because I I don't know if people have the same opinion that I do about Jason. But more importantly, what is your favorite haunted house story? Please tweet at us or comment on our Instagram and let us know. We really want to know. We really want to hear from you. Um, and you can get in touch with us uh, at our Twitter's podcast, where you can find us at at Twitter at a Books Freezer, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or you can feel free to email us at Books in the Freezer at gmail dot com. Um, if you want to say anything to me personally, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L A D Y underscore G A G N O N. Or you can see me on YouTube at That's What She Read. And for myself, Rachel, you can find me at, on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange or on YouTube as well as Instagram at The Shades of Orange, all one word, no spaces. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We'll hope you hit that subscribe button and join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you.